last week while we gathered in worship here in Fort Worth, Texas, not far from where I'm from, a gunman opened fire in a Church of Christ, one of our sister churches, and killed two of our brothers. And by all accounts, he was a broken man, and he has left brokenness behind him. And I know you're joining me in prayer that God would put back together those in that church who have been broken by this, and that he would put back together that congregation that is broken. You know, it's not just that you and I live in a broken world, it's that the church exists in a broken world. And this week, I remembered another attack on another church. This one was in 2013. It was in Peshawar, Pakistan, where only 2% of the population is Christian. And it's been reported that their existence is, quote, precarious at best. In 2013, there was about 400 Christians gathered in the All Saints Church in Peshawar, Pakistan, when two explosions ripped out through the congregation and ultimately killed over 100 the church exists in a broken world. And then the next Sunday, in another town in Pakistan, at another church, that Sunday morning, about two to 300 Pakistanis gathered outside that small church, and they formed a human chain linked arm in arm around each other, encircling the whole church so that that small group of Christians could worship in peace. And one of the organizers of that gathering said this. He said, well, the terrorists showed us what they can do on Sundays. And here we are showing them what we do on Sundays. We unite, he said. And I can't think of a more fitting image to lead us into the word of God this morning. We're in Ephesians today. We're starting a seven-week series out of Ephesians. And we're starting in Ephesians chapter 1. verse 1. And what we're going to see here in Ephesians is this image of all people united under Christ. And so it's a perfect thing to think about as we head into the text. Maybe it's your first time here on Sunday. Maybe you haven't been to a church in a long time. Maybe you have forgotten where Ephesians is. Don't sweat it. The text is going to be on the screen behind me. But if you have a Bible in your hand and you want to find Ephesians, go to near the end. It's in the New Testament, which is not just the second half of the Bible. It's less than half. It's the second part of the Bible, though. And this is a letter written by a guy named Paul. And so Paul started in Ephesus in Acts 19, spending time with Christians in Ephesus, converting those in Ephesus and beginning a church there in that city. Then Paul moves on and he has one more visit with the Ephesian church elders. But then ultimately, Paul is not able to come back to Ephesus. He goes on to Rome. And in Rome, he's imprisoned for two years. And while he's in Rome, in prison, he writes a couple letters. He writes Colossians. He writes Philemon. He writes another letter to Laodicea that we don't have anymore, unfortunately. And then lastly, he writes this letter that we know as Ephesians. And what we know about Ephesians is that it's not directed to a specific church, probably. It's probably meant to be passed around to a bunch of churches. And so it's a little more general. It's not dealing with the specific issue or crisis like we have in some of the letters in the New Testament. And because of that, it is really grand and sweeping. And it paints this just sweeping, beautiful vision of what God is doing in the world. So we're going to start in Ephesians 1.1, and we're just going to work our way through the first 14 verses today. We're going to pick up another verse at the end of chapter 1. It'll feel a little different this morning. We're just going to go verse by verse. So let's start in Ephesians 1.1. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's pretty easy. Let's just leave that up there on the screen for a second. It's pretty easy to skip by a preamble like this when you pick up any book, and certainly when you pick up one of the New Testament books that you're likely very familiar with. But you should pay attention to what's going on here. Because here in Ephesians 1, in these first two verses, what Paul is doing is introducing us to the main characters of this book. And it's not Paul. Paul's on the periphery of Ephesians. Who's in the center? It's God and Jesus Christ. Both of them are mentioned three times apiece. It's like this warning shot. Hey, this is about God and what God is doing in Jesus. In fact, Ephesians has been called God's story. And then you have this language of grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. Easy to skip by that as well. Uh, but uh, let, me try, let me try to give an example of the point I'm about to make. Um, let's say you were to pick up the book Pride and Prejudice. And I don't know why you would, but let's say you did. What would you guess the book's going to be about? Pride and, and prejudice, right? And I have no idea if the book is about that, but if it is, I definitely don't want to read it because who wants to read a book about pride and prejudice? And that's kind of what's going on here in Ephesians. So if we didn't have the habit of naming New Testament books after the recipients of those books, what we would name Ephesians is Grace and Peace. Because this is the story of how God is bringing peace or unity. He uses those words interchangeably here. How God is bringing peaceful unity to the world through the grace of Jesus Christ. So those two things are going to keep showing up. And then we have this language of holy people. You see that there in the first line? Okay, who is he talking about? Well, Paul is not familiar with the language that you and I hear these days, that I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. To Paul, that's not a thing, okay? There's just religious, okay? And for Paul, what you're going to see in these first few verses is a bunch of pronouns. You're going to see we, us, and you. Problem is, every time you see you, it's not you singular, it's you plural, it's y'all. Okay, y'all. And the problem is that those who translated the New Testament into English weren't from the South and they just don't understand, right? Okay, but, but they're actually all plural. So he is talking about a group of holy people. And then at the end of chapter one, he makes really clear who this group is. He says this, God placed all things under his, Jesus's feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for who? The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So in Ephesians, God's story, God is bringing peace to the world through Jesus Christ, through the grace of Jesus Christ, and the church is going to be exhibit one in that case. But lastly, take a look at one more verse here in Ephesians 1, verse 1. One more word, sorry, in Ephesians 1, verse 1, and that word is will. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Now, how many times have you, in prayer, said to God, God, I just don't know what you want? What is it you want from me? Well, we're about to find out what God wants, what God wills, okay? The thing about will is that you and I have wills too. We have things that we want, but what we will, we don't always get. Am I right? Uh, why? Because we're not God. 
Uh, a couple days ago, my car broke down in the driveway, so I jump it with the jumper cables and I drive it to the shop. And the whole way there, I am willing that it just be the battery. Turns out it was the alternator. One of those things is more expensive than the other, right? Unfortunately, sadly. So what we will, we don't always get. But the thing about what God wills is that God has the power to bring about what he wills. So it is not a hopeful expectation or hopeful wish that God has. When we see what God wills or wants, we see what God is doing to accomplish his will. We see what will happen. So this is what will, what is, and what will happen. Let's pick up in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us, we'll come back to that, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. There's that word again to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given the one, given us in the one he loves. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, the mystery of what God wants. He has made it known. This is it. We're about to see it. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. What's the mystery of his will? Verse 10, to be put into effect when times reach the fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Here's God's will. Here's what God wants. This is the point of all of creation and this whole human project that you and I are a part of. Here's what God wills, bringing everything together under Christ. Putting everything together under Christ. That's God's will. That's what God wants. Now, to return to that story we started with of that church in Pakistan and that group gathered outside the church, united, protecting those believers, why does that story speak to us? It speaks to us, yes, because the church exists in a broken world, but it speaks to us because when we see things come together that should not come together, and here you have these people with a variety of different backgrounds being united for a moment under Christ. And when we see things like that, that should be a part that come together, what we are seeing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we are seeing is that God under Christ is uniting all things. And so at that church in Pakistan, we're catching a glimpse of eternity. You know, this is how it's going to be forever. When times reach their fulfillment, everything is going to look like that. And it's a really beautiful vision. And where do we see that vision in the world? We see it at the church. Remember verse 22 again? God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him to be over, head over everything for the church, which is the fullness or the wholeness of him who makes everything whole in every way. It's the image of unity. The church does exist in a broken world. Uh, you remember Humpty Dumpty? You know, he sat on a wall, he had a great fall, and then all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. I don't know what the moral of that story is. Like, don't put your eggs on walls. Like, you know, it's not, 
not super clear, but I can't think of a fairy tale that is more true or paints a clearer picture of the world that we live in. We live in a fractured world, am I right? And there's a reason we, we started 2020 with Ephesians, this gospel about unity or this letter about unity, because we know 2020 is going to be a divisive year. There's going to be a thousand things that divide us in this year. And we already know that. We're already experiencing that. And we're five days into this year. And the thing is that we know we exist in this broken world, but nobody knows how to put it back together. Now, if you get on Facebook, everybody thinks they know how to put it back together, but it's not working. Why? And the reason that we don't know how to put it back together is because it was broken a long time ago. So what Paul does here in Ephesians is he goes back, he says back before the creation of the world in verse four. And that reminds us of Genesis one to three. And we know that at one time the world was perfectly united under God, but sin enters into that scene and the world breaks. There is a fall and things break apart. And now every division that we see around us, whether that's here, whether that's in your family, in your personal life, whether that's in our nation or in the world, that all those divisions trace their origins to this one. That things have been broken a long time, not because we can't get together and have civil dialogue, although that'd be great. They have been broken because we are sinful. And that's why we can't come together. And that's why the fix is not easy. It's not something that you can tweet in 140 characters. The fix requires the blood of Jesus Christ. What we read here in verse 7 is that by his blood we are redeemed. And that word redeemed means liberated. It means freed. It's reminding us of Exodus. So reminded of Genesis to start, reminded of Exodus 7 verses in. Remember, this is God's story. He's reminding us what he's doing. And what you have in Exodus is this scene where the angel of death passes over the people and each of the Israelites mark their doors with the blood of the lamb. And because of that, they are redeemed. Ultimately, they're freed. And that's what we have here. You know, it requires the blood of Jesus for all these things to happen that we read in these first verses. God is blessing us through the blood of Jesus, choosing us, adopting us, giving us his grace, forgiving us, revealing himself to us. And remember, this is God's story. And what God is doing in Jesus Christ are all of these things for one purpose, and that is to unite us under him. Uh, Lindsay and I started doing puzzles with the boys a couple months ago when we were on our sabbatical, and we had a lot of fun. And what we realized is we were having a lot of fun, but the boys could care less about the puzzles. And so we bought a big puzzle, a thousand-piece puzzle, thought we were pretty big deals, you know, they do this thousand piece puzzle. We'd lay that out on the kitchen table and then we would work on it every night after the boys went to sleep instead of watching Netflix. It was great. It took us a couple weeks to, to finish that puzzle. It was a really sweet thing to do it. And if it's hard for you to picture Humpty Dumpty getting put back together again, because we don't typically put our eggs back together, you might picture this scene in Ephesians like a puzzle. And originally this puzzle does not come out of a box. It is a picture that is hanging on the wall, framed. And that picture gets knocked down, it falls, and it breaks apart. And that's like the kind of thing that would happen in my house where boys are throwing balls and bouncing off the walls, and pictures would fall and break. And the thing is, if that happened in my home, we would be really frustrated by it. But what you see here in Ephesians is something really different. That when the pieces of God's creation fall and break apart, resentment is not God's response. What God does is begin to collect those pieces off the floor 
put them on the kitchen table, turn on the light, and then start putting it back together. And this is the better part. Look at these two verses in five and nine. What we see is the will of God is to put everything back together, but what is attached to God's will? You see, his pleasure, his pleasure. That as God gets closer to his will of putting all things back together, it makes him happy. You know, that God isn't up there in the heavens looking down on us so frustrated that we are so broken. He's just plumb happy every time he gets to put us together. It brings him pleasure. And you and I, churches of Christ, care about the pleasure of God. I mean, for how many generations did we pray, God, may this worship be pleasing unto your sight? Right? We want to please God. And the message here is, you're not pleasing God. God is pleasing God. And God is pleasing God by putting the pieces of this broken world back together. A friend of mine sat me down the other day. He's an unbeliever. I know him through bike riding. He doesn't come to church here. He sat me down and he told me, Eric, I've been wanting to tell you something. My girlfriend and I, we broke up. And I feel like my life is falling apart. My whole life was based on this, the future of this relationship, our home, you know, our, my work, my being here in Memphis. And he said, I feel broken right now. And those alarm bells of Ephesians are going off in my mind. And I said, do you know the story of Humpty Dumpty? And he was like, I don't see how that's appropriate right now, right? <laughs> and I said, listen, it gives God great sorrow to see you broken, but it gives God great pleasure to put you back together. What we see here in Ephesians is that all the king's horses and all the king's men don't know how to put our world together, but the king can. And that's what he's doing in Ephesians. So what is our response to that? Well, let's, let's read on in verse 11. That's what Paul says next. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There's that word predestined. That's a challenging word for some of us. Let me, let me try to solve it in like two sentences, two sentences, three sentences. And um, okay, all the pronouns are plural. He's talking about the church being predestined for salvation, not individuals. So get over it. <laughs> Right? Okay. It's, it's not about you personally. It's about the church being saved. Okay, let's go back. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, <clears throat> the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked, so it couldn't be predestination if you have the ability to believe and become part of this. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, here's what I want you to pay attention to there. You've got God choosing us, including us, marking us, making a promise to us, all for the purpose of uniting us in this bigger puzzle that he is putting together. And what are you and I supposed to do in response? Praise his glory. Praise his glory. 
when I try to explain glory to millennials or um, to the guys out of the prison, the most obvious thing I think about is LeBron James. And um, I don't use sports metaphors a lot, but LeBron James may be the greatest basketball player of all time. And that's debatable. That's debatable. Um, but he's won a couple championships. He's won some MVPs. He's pretty good. And LeBron has this habit, this ritual before every game. You know what I'm talking about if you watch basketball at all. LeBron goes to the sidelines, and they're on the sidelines. They've got chalk that the players put on their hands to help them grab the ball when they're sweaty. And he starts taking that chalk and filling his hands with the chalk. You've seen this, right? He's filling his hands, and he's kind of going back and forth like this. And as he's doing that, the whole arena gets silent. And everybody gets out their phones and everybody's just waited, waiting with bated breath for what comes next. And he's filling his hands with that chalk. And then comes this moment where LeBron throws that chalk up into the air and it creates this just cloud of chalk. And the whole arena just erupts, right? And what are they erupting in? Praise. Praise. You know, here is this guy who is great at what he does. And we are being called into this glorious moment where we're celebrating LeBron James, right? It's this image of, of glory is what that is. Okay, so here's the thing about LeBron. <clears throat> he may be the greatest of all time, but at someday he's just going to be an old guy. <laughs> and he'll be a rich old guy, which sounds good. But he's just going to be an old guy, Right? LeBron's glory will not last forever. But what we find in Ephesians is that the glory of God stretches back before the creation of the world to that time when times reach their fulfillment. Our job eternally will be to praise his glory. And our job right now is to praise his glory for what he is doing for us through Jesus Christ. You know, if you and I are not caught up in praise like that when we come here on Sunday mornings, it is because we have fooled ourselves and to thinking that we're keeping ourselves together, that we're keeping our lives together, that we're putting our world together. We don't have a clue how to do that, right? But God is keeping all things together. God is bringing all things together. And so he is worthy of our praise because he is glorious. He is worthy of so much more than that. Andrew Peterson has this new song, and I'll end with this. You've heard this on the radio. Uh, it's, a, it's an unusual song. It's a call and response. And so he asks one question after another, and after each question, this chorus responds really simply with just two words each time. And it's kind of a haunting sound. It reminds me not only of the church gathered together in chorus, but of the, of the heavenly chorus, the saints who have gone on before us and join us, we're told, and our worship, as we offer our sacrifice to God, that their praise and sacrifice joins that. And that's what I'm reminded of in this song. I'll end with what Peterson sings. He says, do you feel the world is broken? And the chorus sings, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The lion of Judah who conquered the grave, he is David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? 
of all blessing and honor and glory. Is he worthy of this? He is. He is, church. Let's stand and praise the God who is worthy. If you'd like to give your life to God today, I'll be down here to receive you, baptize you this morning. If you'd like prayer, we've got elders in the back who'd love to receive you in prayer. Let's give God the praise he's due because he's worthy. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.